Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for a match preview. Newcastle head down to Burnley on Sunday. I'm joined by Lanx Live's Alex James. Alex, how are you doing first off? Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well. Nice to see you again. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, to what's a, a key game on uh, on Sunday at the bottom of the table. It is for both teams. A win for Burnley would be a massive boost for you guys. A defeat for Newcastle think would be unthinkable especially if Fulham managed to beat Wolves and at that point Newcastle would be in the relegation zone I think people can already sense that I think it's a must win for Newcastle is it a must win for Burnley um probably but looking at Burnley's running they've still got uh what you would class as winnable fixtures they've still got to play Fulham they've still got to play Sheffield United um so it's probably more of a must not lose than a must win. I think if um, if they can keep that four point gap to to Newcastle, and that would mean that that Fulham, even if Fulham won on um, on Friday night, would only be on twenty nine points. I think so. They'd, they'd still have a five point cushion to to Fulham um, going into the last the last seven games. Uh, I think I think Burnley would probably take that. But having said that, I think a win um, a win on Sunday pretty much does it for Burnley. I think it's difficult to see Fulham getting. 11 or 12 points from from their last seven games and um, and Burnley would be up to 36 with a win uh, and obviously put a bit, bit of distance between them and Newcastle as well. So a win would be great. Um, a defeat would make it really, really nervy, really edgy because obviously Newcastle would be back to within a point then um, and it, it does start to get a bit tight and, uh, and nerves can come into the equation and Burnley are at Old Trafford the week after. So um, obviously a tough game there. Um, so I, I think it's probably a must not lose from Burnley's point of view <clears throat> I mean the game the last game Burnley had 3-2 against Southampton very entertaining for the neutral and I think many people thought Burnley were probably going to come out with all three points and suddenly Southampton turned on the on the, on the the style um, how big of a defeat was that for Burnley I guess not just in terms of collecting three valuable points but in terms of the mood around the camp yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. It was the first time in six years, I think, that Burnley had let slip a two-goal lead to lose a game. Um, normally, they're very, very good at closing out a match, even at one, even at one nil or two one, let alone at two nil. Um, I think that the game just it was played as if it was the last ten minutes for the entirety of the game. It was it was end to end. It was far too open for Burnley's liking. Um, they struggled to cope with. The Southampton forward line and, and Nathan Redmond and, and Danny Ings in particular um, sort of finding pockets of space. So it, it was a damaging defeat because at, at 2-0 after 25 minutes, you're thinking we're home and hosed here. We're going to overtake Southampton and we're going to have a nice cushion going into the last um, the last few games of the season. And as you say, it, it's one they need to brush off and, and mentally as much as anything, not let it affect them. Um, I spoke to Sean Dyche after the game on Sunday and asked him that very question and, and he, uh, as you would expect, was very sort of 
blase about that and said that it won't be an issue for them. Burnley have been in far worse situations than than this one in the Premier League and, and come out fighting and, and come out on top. So I think they will be able to shrug it off. Um, I think they'll have had it's it's beneficial at the minute that they're having a full week between fixtures because their squad's not the biggest. Um, they do still have a couple of injury concerns. Uh, they struggle to get their first eleven. In fact, I'm not even sure they have got their first choice eleven on the pitch at the same time this season. So having that week off to sort of prepare, put um, put the Southampton defeat to bed, and, and look ahead to Newcastle will um, will be hugely beneficial for them. I guess the way that Danny Ings, you know, he returned from injury and he came into that game and he, you know, he, he won Southampton. It really was fantastic. That might give Newcastle fans some hope. We don't know whether Callum Wilson will be back. Um, this is this was a big week for him. We are recording this before Steve Bruce's press conference on Friday. So hopefully we'll get some uh, information there about Wilson. But if Wilson is back, massive boost for Newcastle. But even then, you look at maybe... Joe Linton seems to be finding a bit of form. We had Alan at maximum back against Spurs off the bench. He looked lively. And I'm just looking at what happened against Southampton. Is it a case that Burnley switched off against Southampton or they couldn't handle the kind of the, the counter-attack or the speed of the likes of Ings and Redmond? And then you could put that into, into maybe St. Maximum and, and, and Joe Linton. Yeah, I mean, uh, there were a couple of individual errors. This, the second one in particular, Ben Mee just gets his, his read all wrong on the, the far side and, and Danny Ings is in and away and, and finished really well, actually. Still had quite a bit to do, but that was an individual error. Um, the first one, nobody tracked a runner and then he took a shot early. Nick Pope probably be a little bit disappointed that it that it beat him. Um, so it wasn't so much that Southampton ran rings around Burnley. It was more a case that Burnley... Um, just had a, a couple of sort of naive moments defensively that, again, is a bit unlike them, generally speaking. Um, I think Southampton did sort of exploit the space. What, what Burnley tend to do is back off, back off, back off and let somebody have a shot from 20 yards and back themselves to either get a block in or the keeper will save it. And Southampton exploited that little bit of space, sort of 10, 10 yards outside Burnley's penalty area with quick, one-touch, incisive, pacey play. Um and that's what the Clarets struggled with a little bit on that occasion. Having said that, Burnley could have scored four or five themselves. Um, and it was just it's just trying to find that balance between their uh, their sort of attacking play, which has improved sort of since Chris Wood and Matteo Vidral were paired together in, in the last month or so with what we all know and, and expect from Burnley, which is a, a defensive resilience. And I guess those kind of mistakes that you mentioned there, given, like you said as well, they've had a week to prepare, it's Sean Dyche will be on the training ground making sure that it doesn't happen again this week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ben Mee's probably been Burnley's player of the season. Um, very, very rarely do you see him make a, an error like he did last weekend. Um, he, whoever comes in at left-back, whether Eric Peters is fit enough to play or Charlie Taylor comes in, that Taylor is the first-choice left-back. Matt Lowndes has been playing very well at right-back, so they will have a first-choice back four out in all likelihood with, with Nick Pope behind them. So, don't think there'll be too many concerns from from Sean Dyche. The the sort of credit in the bank, if you like, with their defensive work is is vast, really. So I think that'll be pushed aside very very quickly, and it'll be on to um, to how they can sort of hurt Newcastle as much as um, as much as been aware of the threats from from you boys. We mentioned the threats. Uh, Newcastle saw a change of formation against Spurs. Five at the back. We had Jacob Murphy and Matt Ritchie as wing backs. You know, if you 
going to ask them, they'd probably say they are wingers first and foremost, but they've been asked to play in that position. And both did really well. Spurs really could not handle Jacob Murphy and Matt Ritchie was just putting cross after cross into the box. Really big threat. Um, and I mean, you've asked me to do some questions for Langs Live about Newcastle. I wrote in there that trying to second guess the formation, let alone the team. You know, it's a brave man who does that. But let's say they do start with five at the back. And I think many people would welcome that given how well they're performing against Spurs. How will Burnley cope with the likes of Murphy and Matt Ritchie if they indeed do start as wing-backs? I think you mentioned there Matt Ritchie was putting cross after cross into the box. Burnley will take that all day long. Um, that's, that's bread and butter to a, to a Ben Mee, James Tarkovsky, um, centre-back pairing. If, you know, the Clarence will, will quite happily let them stick balls into the, into the box and, and bat themselves to deal with that. So, don't think that would be the sort of obvious route to to threaten Burnley. Um, so Maximan, obviously, if he plays, he's a he's a player who can unlock defenses. I think we saw that in the reverse fixture. Him and him and Callum Wilson both had really good games that that night. Um, albeit Burnley were very very poor that that day. Um, so I mean, pace and trickery, you can perhaps get a Burnley. Uh, down that route and sort of overloading the midfield if they did go 5-3-2 and put three in against what will almost certainly be a midfield two from Burnley um, they ask a lot of whoever it is Ashley Westwood and Josh Brownley at the moment to, they ask a lot of them in the middle of midfield and if, if Newcastle can overload that area and Southampton had a bit of joy with having like a Stuart Armstrong just just in behind the, the lines um and that's potentially one route where, where Newcastle could get some joy. And obviously, if Wilson's fit, then he's a goal scorer. Um, so, and he's a good player. So, defences will always be wary of uh, of strikers who don't need too many chances to put the ball in the net. Hmm. Well, I mean, that would be the other option, you know, that they do change the formation to how it's been in previous weeks where you've got the kind of that number 10 and then you've got the two wide men, you know, one tends to be a striker um, and then you know, the men across the middle and four at the back. Would that hurt Burnley more, do you think, if Newcastle played in that system? Yeah, possibly. I think, I mean, I think it comes down to having your best players on the pitch, doesn't it? And if, if Newcastle have Wilson and Sir Maximan available, then they look a, a, look a little bit of a different side, don't they? They look like they're more capable of causing problems. Um I think from from Burnley's point of view, we all know that Burnley are going to play four four two. They're going to try and get the ball from back to front as, as quickly as possible, whether that's by advancing in possession or long passes up to to Chris Wood, who, who's now got Mate Vidra in a little bit of form alongside him as well, and a different sort of aspect to to the sort of Chris Wood Ashley Barnes pairing that we're used to seeing from Burnley. So they've got that uh, that option going forward. Um, from a defensive point of view, I think it it is just a case of uh, Sam Maximan's pace and, and Wilson's sort of clinicalness in the box that would be my biggest concerns looking into it. If neither of those start um, and you're looking at a, a Joel Linton or whoever it might be as your biggest attacking weapon, I think uh, Bernie would probably say, well, we've got the capabilities to deal with that. We They're very well drilled defensively. Um, don't concede too many goals in games either albeit because he did three last weekend and three at Newcastle in the reverse fixture. But generally speaking, they're, they're tight at the back. Um, I mean, I can just see it being a draw. I can see two teams sort of with a mentality of, let's make sure we don't lose this game. Um, and it, it Burnley are, are a bit of a draw specialist at the minute as well. So 
It's it's an interesting take there. I mean, first off, I know our chief sports writer Lee Redder suggested um, in last week's podcast that maybe Annie Carroll could come back into the fold if he's fit, you know, to just maybe shake things up and give the Burnley defenders a bit of a, a physical battle. And it's interesting there that you mention um, Chris Wood because I always just, I keep mentioning this in, in kind of every podcast I do, that I've got a player and it tends now to be for nearly every side that I fear. And Chris Wood is one of those that I do fear when he plays Newcastle. Um, obviously scored in the reverse fixture my mind serves me correctly. And he, he seems to enjoy a bit of a battle against Newcastle. And Emil Kraft, bless him, uh, played at centre-back against Spurs. And um, I thought he did all right until the, was it the second goal? And he failed to clear his lines and the ball ended up in the back of the net. And then, you know, his game went off it. And he's not, he's not indeed himself as Newcastle United fans. And you have to hope that Fernandez or Kieran Clark start uh, against Burnley just so... They have that. He's just such a natural centre-back against a big burly forward like Chris Wood. And you mentioned there the point. Um, I can I can see where you're coming from, but I do think, especially Newcastle United fans, are just not going to accept a point. I mean, they'll take it, but they're not going to accept a point against Burnley because they are one of them sides that are down around them, especially if Fulham beat Wolves and put Newcastle in the relegation zone. Yes, a point would take them out of it, but, you know... It's, it's not good enough. I think these are the kind of games that Newcastle need to be winning. The teams around them, they've struggled uh, to do that. I think they've only beaten Burnley in the bottom half. I keep forgetting who's dropping in above, uh, who's dropping in from, from the 10th position and downwards. But I think they might have only beaten Burnley in, in the um, in the second half. They've probably beaten someone else in the bottom half, actually. But yeah, they do struggle against sides around them. And you know what? Yeah. I think they've got to go for a win this weekend. I think that the fact that that Fulham game is on Friday night can alter things as well because we're yeah. in this situation where we've got 10 games at 10 different kickoff times. And, and ordinarily, you'd probably think these two games would be three o'clock Saturdays, Burnley's and, and Fulham's. Um, but the fact that Newcastle will know exactly where they stand, and, and Burnley, of course, but perhaps more more pressing for Newcastle at the minute, um, could have a little bit of a bearing on on how they go about it or how Steve Bruce chooses to go about it given that as you say they could be in the relegation zone come kickoff and um, I don't think regardless of the Fulham result I don't think that'll change Burnley's way of playing I don't think it'll change Burnley's setup I don't think it'll change Burnley's 11 I think they will as I said before they will go with probably the side that played against Southampton unless Eric Peters misses out through injury um, and and they'll bat themselves to get probably four or five, six points maybe over the next eight games to to stay up. Uh, the sooner they do it, the better, of course. And I do think if they lose and um, and it just sort of drags on where they're not quite out of the woods and they're always within a win have been dragged into, into um, it, you know, right into the thick of that bottom three, that it, it just puts a lot of pressure on games next month, such as Fulham... Uh, and Sheffield United on the last day and what, what Burnley won't want to do is go on to that game at, at Craven Cottage which I think is maybe three or four games before the end of the season um, knowing that a defeat will see Fulham overtake them because that really heaps the pressure on, on Burnley for the last two or three games um, particularly given that they're they're relatively safe at the minute and it, you, you wouldn't see many people sort of saying Burnley are going to drop into that that bottom three at the moment. Um, so the sooner they get up to sort of 38, 39 points, which will probably do it, the better. 
Mm. I'll, I'll correct myself because Newcastle have beaten Southampton, Crystal Palace, Burnley, obviously, and West Brom. Um, but of late, they have really struggled against sides around them, which I think is key when you're battling for safety. I know Crystal Palace, the last time I checked, had a great record against the sides around them. Um, you know, because they're, they're the points you need to be picking up. In terms of pressure on Burnley, like you say, not many people tipping them to go down, but of course, they only take us a couple of results here or there to, to drag you in. Um, I'm just wondering, given you know, that the belief is probably maybe four points for safety, maybe even just three. How does that affect, do you think, the preparation and the mindset of the camp? I mean, are they are they playing it 100% because they know they're so close? Or is it, you know, all guns blazing and then they'll then they'll kind of take their foot off the gas? I don't think it matters one bit whether um, Burnley are on 33 73 or three points. I think Sean Dyche will have his team. And he always says this in, in press conferences when you sort of say it's the business end of the season. Or you mentioned it there, like a six-pointer, like this game is, and like Southampton was last week. And he says, well, the points you get at the start of the season, why is that not Why is that not the business end? Because you're still getting three points. You can still put yourself in a position where you don't need to rely on the business end of the season to pick up your your points in in safety uh, in safety battle. So I do I don't think it'll change how Burnley play. I think nine times out of ten, um, Burn, Burnley will play on the front foot. They'll try and press. Uh, they'll try and get the ball into the forward areas as, as quickly as they can, and they'll try and use what is a really flourishing partnership at the minute between Wood and you mentioned him earlier. I think he's got three and three now, and he's on course to get. I think he's got seven Premier League goals this season, and he's he's one of a reasonably rare. Um, breed of striker who's got 10 in each of the last three in the league and he, he could well do that again for a fourth successive season which considering he's in a side that doesn't score a huge amount of goals is is testament to sort of his quality and his abilities really um, and him and Vidra have looked really sharp as a pair in that they've only just sort of come together uh, in the last three or four games so Bernie will look to, to open Newcastle up using Vidra either dropping in and spinning in behind Chris Wood. Obviously, Chris Wood's got an element of, of physical physical presence. He's not quite as maybe as strong as everybody thinks he is, but he's a, he's a nuisance and he's a menace. Um, and he, he is capable of... He's brilliant from set pieces. And, and that's another area where Bernie will feel they can, they can probably get at Newcastle is, is set pieces. Because with, with Wood, uh, Ben Mee, James Tarkovsky, they've got three really good aerial threats and they've got Dwight McNeil and Ashley Westwood who are both excellent set piece takers as well so wouldn't surprise I think we saw that in the last trying to think now was it 1-0 in the last game at Turf Moor between these two and it I seem to remember it was a it was a set piece or it was a it was an aerial ball into the box that that was the only goal of that of that game um, and that was a really scrappy sort of turgid game as well I think it was Chris Wood who scored it actually and you can just sort of see something similar to that where there's there's very little between both sides particularly given the situation both find themselves in rarely a classic is it but you <laughs> mentioned there the um the set piece and parts of this part of the season you kind of really struggled defending um you know either just switching off or not pick up a man especially when it comes to balls into the box and set pieces and it's it is a worry and especially when you consider steve bruce is this you know, legend of a centre back, you 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 would you would think um, that the one thing they'd be clued up on is marking the corners and marking the free kicks. And there's been some worrying worrying elements of play where you know 
you know, the player's just been allowed to drift past the defenders. And then even more worrying is the reaction from the said defenders, where it's just kind of like, there's nothing there. And I think in a relegation battle, that's something that you definitely need. Um, on to Sean Dyche then, you know, lots of speculation about his future. He's been linked to Newcastle United. It would be interesting to to run a poll and see how many Newcastle United fans would take Sean Dyche, not known for his free-flowing football. But I do think at times Newcastle fans are wrongly targeted that I don't think that's a demand. I think it's kind of what you said before about giving 100%. That's what Sean Dyche drills into his players. And I think Newcastle fans would accept any team that gives that. Does his future and you know what lies ahead come the end of the season, is that affecting what's happening on the pitch at all? Does that play into, you know, does that have any role in, in, in the weekend's game? No, I don't think so. I think we've been down this road half a dozen times, probably more with, with Sean Dyche. He's been at Burnley um, eight and a half years now and there's been countless jobs and positions and, and Newcastle is the latest one and Crystal Palace have been mentioned um, sort of repeatedly over the last 12 months as well. But going back previously, he was linked to West Ham, he was linked to Everton um, and there's there's always talk that he will eventually move on. At some point he will do. There's, he's not going to be Burnley manager for the rest of his life. Um but I don't think it'll have any impact on the players. And I don't think it'll have any impact on on Sean himself either. Um, he's under contract until next summer, until 2022. Uh, and I think any anybody, well, A, Newcastle and Crystal Palace, who are the sort of two that have been linked most heavily at the minute, have both got managers, for starters. Um, but B, there's a, there's a pretty hefty compensation fee to, um, to pay Bernie to get him out of it. A contract this summer if somebody decided to go down that route and I, I'm just not sure whether Palace or, or Newcastle would would want to do that um, given that well particularly if both stayed up um, I could see Palace giving Roy Hodgson another year and, and I think it it seems likely that, that Steve Bruce will stay if, if Newcastle stay up I mean you can probably tell me more on that but personally I think Sean Dice will be here come the start of next season what will be interesting is obviously Bernier and the new owners um, they've got a I say this all the time, but they've got a critical transfer window coming up, having had sort of four critical transfer windows in a row. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the new ownership, ALK and, and Sean Dyche, how they mesh together and how their methods align or, or don't, um, and whether they're in agreement on on everything that needs to be done and what players need to be signed and, um, and sort of what finances are available. So that'll be interesting over the next three or four months. And if um, if those two sort of camps can can get along and, and everything off the same sing off the same hymn sheet then you'd be looking for Bernie to push on um and try and establish themselves as a as a mid-table club rather than one having to always have sort of one eye looking towards the bottom three and they have finished in the top half in in two of the last four seasons so it's not um it's not beyond them at the moment with a little bit of investment and a couple more additions you do feel like they've got the capabilities to be a a side where you look at them and think, yeah, they'll finish somewhere between 8th and 14th rather than think, yeah, they'll be in the bottom six. Do Burnley fans, does the Burnley camp see this as a game in which they're favourites and, and, and probably should come away with a, at least a point? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure how many games Burnley actually go into and think, you know, we're 100% favourites here um, because it's so, so tough in the Premier League and Burnley have been... I mean, Burnley have won at Liverpool and won at Arsenal this season and, and Everton in games where you would think no chance, particularly that Liverpool game on a 68-match unbeaten run at, 
at Anfield. Um, and then they've gone to games such as West Brom and Fulham earlier in the season and um, and not one when everyone was, was looking at them as home games, which they should expect to, to take three points from. So I come back to it again. I can just I can just see it being a draw. <laughs> I just I can just see everything pointing towards um, a nil nil or a one one. Shake hands and we'll we'll stick with a four point gap and we'll um, we'll go from there. Before I ask you for your score prediction, then just quickly, are Burnley missing Jeff Hendrick? Um, not really. I mean, they're missing him <laughs> in the sense that he would be a useful body to have um, because they've been uh, really short given injuries over the last six or 12 months, um, particularly in the, in the wide areas. They've got Dwight McNeil, who's uh, plays pretty much every week on the left. And then they've been having to alternate between Johan Berggood Munson, who's first choice when he's fit, but he's often injured. Robbie Brady, who is now injured again and has been injured for much of the season. Um, and they've asked Josh Brownell to do what they used to ask Jeff Hendrick to do, which is sit in and s- slot in on the right-hand side of midfield. And that's not... Josh Brownell's best position. It's not really his game either. Um, so he would have been useful in in that sense. Um, I don't think there were too many tears shed when he when he left um, in the summer. I think he it's one of those players who he's, he's shown in flashes what he's capable of, and perhaps for for much of his Burnley career, he probably didn't play in the middle of midfield or in the 10, which is where he'd like to. And where, uh, I think back to Euro 2016, it would have been where he was really good and effective for Ireland. Um, so in fairness to Jeff, he didn't really play in that position too often for for Bernie. But even now you look at Bernie's squad and he wouldn't be in their first choice 11. He wouldn't get in ahead of Ashley Westwood or, or Josh Brown in the middle of midfield and probably wouldn't get in ahead of Jack Cork either. So other than he's left Burnley short and they didn't really replace him. Um, I don't think his, uh, I don't think he's been missed in terms of the, the starting 11. And he, he seems to have slipped out of favour at Newcastle as well. having started the season in the side, but seems to be struggling for, for minutes at the moment. Yeah. He's not a fan favourite, but Steve Bruce certainly seems to like him. And I think there's a chance he could be back in the, in the side against Burnley. And that, that wouldn't go down well with Newcastle United fans who they just don't see, what he brings. And I, I was excited when, well, excited maybe is a bit of a stretch, but I was I was happy with the signing because I thought, look, a good, dependable Premier League player in Newcastle have been lacking experience in that in that midfield. Um, and it just hasn't worked. And he's been keeping the likes of Matty Longstaff, Sean Longstaff out. And yes, you put aside the fact they're Geordies, they've got to work for their place, but they've not been given an opportunity really. And Jeff Hendrick hasn't really shown why he should be ahead of ahead of them. Um, but then I'm, I'm not the head coach. I don't pick the side. But it certainly will be interesting to see who starts in that midfield role on Sunday. Your score prediction then, how will it end? Yeah, you can probably guess I'm going for a draw. I've been, I've been referenced it about 12 times. Um, but I will go for I will go for 1-1. One, one. Um, I, I just get the feeling that there's going to be elements of the game. It's, it's not going to be decided by three plus goals is it I, I can't I think they're, they're reasonably evenly matched sides um, the Fulham result may have a bit of a bearing on on whether one side opens up a little bit more which which could change the the sort of um, outcome of the match but I just think it'll be a, a tight close encounter with you know not too many clear-cut chances and, and I can just see it ending 1-1 I don't know what you think 
you mentioned the Fulham game there, and that's why I'm not going to share a prediction because I think if Fulham beat Wolves and Newcastle in the relegation zone, then it just turns it on its head. And I would actually... It's hard to say whether Newcastle would crumble with the nerves and pressure of being in the relegation zone and then Burnley can just go and win the game or whether it would give them the kick up the backside to go and win the game. It's difficult. My head would say that they'd probably crumble under the pressure of having to get back out of the relegation zone. But then again, you know, if it's 1-1 like you've predicted, then that's a point and it takes Newcastle out of the relegation zone and, yeah. you know, you're sitting happier than you were, um, you know, before before kickoff. So I'm not going to predict a score because I think that Fulham game just holds so much weight for how Newcastle will play and how it will affect Newcastle, you know, coming into the in, into the game. But I'm hoping Newcastle can win. However, um, we shall wait and see. But Alex, a pleasure as always. Thank you for joining us on the Everything is Black My podcast. My pleasure. I just think the first goal will be key as well, won't it? Because Burnley don't often win from going behind. Um, and if whoever scores first, it gives you something to hang on to, gives you something to play for, might might lift you by that extra sort of five or ten percent. So it, I could, I could, if it's going to be decided, I think it'll be the odd goal in a, in a one nil. But I'm sticking. I'll stick with a draw, even though you've chickened out and not gone for anything there and forced me down a <laughs> down a score prediction. <laughs>